and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, and almost never talked about. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Graham Ogilvy, a former journalist from Dundee, who's here to discuss his experience with initial diagnosis of prostate cancer in Scotland and how this led him to undergo HIFU treatment with Raj Nigam at the Focal Therapy Clinic in Guildford. Graham, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks, Claire. Pleased to join you on our Zoom technology. Yeah, absolutely. We're all becoming extremely skilled and experienced yeah. with this. So, Graham, we've, we've chatted a little bit before this interview, but for the benefit of our listeners, I'm just going to start off our, our conversation by picking up on your journey to Southeast England to Guildford to see Raj earlier this year from Scotland uh, for, for the HIFU treatment that we're here to talk about. How did this come about? How did you start off in Scotland and wind up down in Guildford? I was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer uh, last October at the age of 62. It was a bit of a surprise because it was picked up with blood tests. I didn't have any of the classic symptoms of mm-hmm. um, prostate cancer. And I'm pleased to say that I still don't. I thought the NHS was quite good on picking this up, quite a, a sort of slick conveyor belt operating. And I got the sort of the good news that the uh, cancer was curable, at which mm-hmm. point, you know, I was pretty happy about that, obviously. And then uh, we moved on to uh, discuss what was available as a treatment. And that, that's when I, th- I think it got really quite interesting. Interesting how? Probably because I haven't had that much to do with doctors. I kind of imagined that there would be a consultant that he would present the choices and make a recommendation. doesn't quite work like that. You choose. So you receive a presentation. There are two choices basically available to you. There is a third, brachytherapy, which um, I uh, asked to be considered for, but there was a sort of an inexplicable delay in in getting to that. And um, so we were really focusing on the two choices, which was the removal of the prostate gland or its destruction with radiation, mm-hmm. hormone treatment and radiation, which seems to be something of a, of a sort of Ottoman choice. The Ottomans used to give their unfortunate prisoners a choice. They could either have their uh, testicles crushed between two silk pillows or smashed between two bricks. And, um, <laughs> but the outcome so was the same. A bit of a blunt instrument, I think. So I saw the... Uh, the man who performs the surgery, and he told me what he did. And the next day, I saw somebody who's a consultant to do with the hormone treatment and radiation, and he told me what he did. And then you're invited to make your mind up. I didn't feel that I had a, a terrible, I'm not really a medical expert, so that, that was a bit of a surprise. There was then this attempt to get in touch with brachytherapy uh, people who, who are based in Edinburgh, that, that didn't seem to go too well in terms of getting in touch. And there was a bit of a delay, a bit of an interregnum, during which uh, I uh, was obviously reading uh, online about things. Mm-hmm. I was aware of the HIFU uh, option, but it wasn't something that I pursued, firstly, because I didn't know anybody who had it, I think. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I didn't really know how to go about accessing it. It seems to me, you know... I mean, we're now going on Amazon to get prostate treatment. You know, that, that's yeah. what it felt like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I'm going to go on the internet now and try and find somebody that does this. I mean, it's not the way we've been brought up. You mentioned um, in a previous conversation that your diagnosis was initially confirmed by a truss biopsy. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And, and were you that, offered that was, another uh, option? You know, how, how did the truss no. biopsy affect your diagnosis and ultimate treatment? This was actually very interesting. And I'm putting my journalistic hat on. I must say, if I wasn't retired, uh, it would be rather a good story. Um, <laughs> the truss biopsy, which is a transrectal uh, biopsy, is, as the name suggests, inherently slightly dangerous in that the chances of infection are elevated. A load of, uh, of needles uh, are, are punctured through uh, the wall of your of your rectum, basically. Mm-hmm. So the, the risks are, are self-evident. You're given a piece of paper alerting you to the fact that one man in 200 will die as a result of this. And you're given two antibiotic tablets to take a couple of hours beforehand. Mm-hmm. Then you go and you have the procedure, which I'm about to say was reasonably painless. It was a little bit uncomfortable afterwards. And that was the story. And luckily for me, unlike a friend of mine, I didn't get an infection. I was duly phoned with the results, which was that I had, quote, so a wee bit of cancer on one side, but nothing on the other side. And this was graded on the Gleason score at four plus three, which I understand that three plus four is pretty, pretty much mm-hmm. better than four plus three. Mm-hmm. Four, four denoting that it's got an ambition to travel, really. So armed with that information, the next step is what we're going to do about it. Yep. And um, neither of the options looked fantastic because I didn't get up in the right, as lots of guys have to do, um, and I still don't. I didn't have any other problems. And if I had the surgery, I was going to have these problems. Yes. And, um, and then when it came to the radiation and hormone, first of all, the hormone treatment I gathered was, was pretty devastating but possibly what I would have gone for because the side effects are less dramatic mm. than, uh, than removal. I also happen to live close to the hospital, so it wouldn't have been a problem for me to go up there every day, as it certainly okay. would be for a lot, of guys, a lot of guys who live further away. Mm-hmm. So I was tempted to take that route. But what was a big thing for me that kind of concerned me about radiation was that after you've had the radiation, they say that surgery is not generally possible if it comes back because the sort of tissues are kind of gunged up. So that's a factor to be considered. So anyway, this was where I was and it's make your mind up time. And I said, well, let's have a look at this brachytherapy. They weren't sure if I would be suitable for that, but that was a decision to be made in Edinburgh. Christmas intervened and we never really seemed to get as far as Edinburgh. There was quite a delay. During that delay, see, I, uh, was reading about Haifu, as I had done already. But then a friend called and put me in touch with his brother-in-law, who had successfully been treated with uh, Haifu three or four years ago. And he's a a partner in an international law firm and pretty astute and pretty forensic in his analysis. He sort of sang the praises of it and gave me the name of his uh, consultant. I tried to, I got online and then, sort of spurred into action with this. And also, I thought I was impatient or disenchanted or both with not hearing anything about this brachytherapy because I hadn't had any information for about five or six weeks. Uh, you're standing waiting for the bloody letter to arrive every day, you know, yeah. uh, 20 past one, and it's never arriving. And of course, by this time, you sense that perhaps it's never going to arrive unless yeah. you make an intervention. So 
I went online and there was a few things and I tried to get this guy, but it wasn't easy to find this guy who's one of the top men in the field. But I saw that he was part of a group who'd been working on this in terms of having it assessed for the NHS. And, and then I noticed that when I saw the, uh, the focal uh, therapy clinic, mm-hmm. I saw that um, one of the people, one of his collaborators was Mr. Negam, who was at the focal therapy clinic and who also had collaborated with this guy and was cited on the papers that I had looked at. Mm-hmm. So that's really uh, how... Um, yeah, how the dots a, connected. Filled yeah. Form, yeah, filled in a form and, and they got in touch. And then I uh, jumped on a plane and went down and saw uh, Mr. Negam. Did he request another biopsy or did he work with your... Yes. No, that, that was quite interesting. First of all, the NHS were very good about giving me the records and the MRI scan that I had mm-hmm. uh, so, so that Mr. Negam could see that. So yep. the interface there it was pretty okay. The MRI scan, he thought, was of a very high quality, etc. but did require to be another biopsy. Mm-hmm. And this was very interesting because this was a different biopsy from that which is performed in Scotland. It's more exact. It's a transperineal, I think they call it. Yeah, fusion, MRI, ultrasound fusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's more accurate to begin with. And also, it's much, much safer. Unlike the one that you get in Scotland, there is a general anaesthetic. But you're given intravenously antibiotic during this and right. thereafter you're given you're given three days of a, a, a course of antibiotics for three days I think it was three pills for three mm-hmm. days mm-hmm. so it struck me it struck me that here I was getting an inherently safer procedure because it, it is safer there's mm-hmm. less chance of infection with greater protection <laughs> and then I was horrified to to subsequently learn that in fact in large parts of England the uh, biopsy that we get in Scotland is not allowed yeah. because it's regarded as being dangerous. And I understand yes. it's banned in certain parts of Europe as well. Now, the other thing about this uh, rather disappointing thing about this um, biopsy that I had in Scotland was that uh, the wee bit of uh, cancer on the one side and the no cancer on the other side <laughs> turned out to be not quite the picture. I'm only imagining, because I don't have any medical knowledge, that it may be that they don't require so much accuracy if all they're doing is applying the blunt instruments of surgical removal or radiation. They're basically destroying the things so they don't need to know. But what did emerge was that from this safer but more accurate procedure was that, in fact, I had quite a bit of cancer on one side and a little bit on the other side. So the picture was rather rather different. Yes. Uh, yes. So I think that I think there's an issue there to be uh, redressed in Scotland. Mm. Um, I mean, I presume it, it's costly to lo- knock people out and all that, but I do think that part of the problem with prostate cancer is that it affects old guys mm-hmm. who, you know, are, are not sexy, not high up in the political agenda. Although I think, obviously, prostate cancer is gaining traction on the political agenda, and it is becoming more important. But I ask the question, if one woman, one mother, one grandmother, one daughter, one sister in 200 was dying needlessly from a breast cancer biopsy, I suggest there would be riots, quite rightly, in the streets. My question is, why are these men dying? Yeah, no, it's a it's it's a pretty pretty critical question. I mean, you know, there's a few things you've mentioned here that 
you know, I just want to probe a little bit more um, about, you know, particularly the Scottish experience. I mean, again, this, this use of blunt instruments, as you describe them, mm. seems to be common and persistent. And as you then, um, you know, were shown to be quite evident in, in England, not only was it not, but it was actually seen as, as you said, dangerous and, you know, inaccurate was kind yes. of secondary. And then the second thing you talked a bit about was that, you know, Scottish men are potentially affected by ageist attitudes or, or even gender-based ones, you know, the, the, the sort of old guys are effectively ignored. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that other people share that view? Yeah. No, I have spoken to other guys who uh, have been in this situation and they feel that way as well. I don't think it's a thing that pertains to Scotland, by the way. I think it's, uh, it's that's UK-wide. I mean, I think that because it affects older guys, I, I really can't understand why they're not screening for it. I know the argument about everybody's going to get it sooner or later and, you know, uh, most people can live with it and all this kind of thing. But there are men turning up and it's too late. There's the cry. It seems to me that you might save yourself a lot of heartache and money and uh, by earlier intervention, you know. Yes. I know people who've turned 60 and gone to the doctor and asked for a blood test because they're concerned about this just as a matter of routine and they're told no. Presumably they don't have any symptoms. So maybe... And, I understand. I mean, the health service is under pressure and I certainly support it most avidly. So there are lots of issues I won't know about, but the biopsy I know about. Yes. And uh, if, the, if the NHS in one part of the country says it's dangerous and won't do it, why is it being done elsewhere? No, that's the question. And, and, um, uh, that's yeah. But so, Graham, I mean, from your experience, how would you advise men in Scotland who've recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer? Well, first of all, I think if they have questions to ask and all the rest of it, and uh, I think I had some experience of the expert nurses at the Prostate Cancer Charity, Prostate Cancer UK, mm -hmm. really excellent. They, they were first class, a very good service. You phone them up, they're very reassuring, but they also tell you, you know, what the scores are on the doors, the questions to ask, the buttons to press etc you know i think they are very very good I'd strongly endorse them my experience was you know i, I was deemed uh, by mr negam to be uh, suitable for this haifu procedure which is uh, ultrasound where it meets and generates heat and basically they burn out the cancer and they've been mm -hmm. doing it for quite a long time 30 years on the continent and about coming up for 10 years here, I think, uh, possibly. But my PSA had gone down slightly from 12.5 to 10.5. I got the operation done in Guildford, which was a very nice uh, hospital, mm -hmm. very friendly people, very straightforward procedure, no real discomfort afterwards. Everything went smoothly. I had a catheter, which um, you could do without, but it wasn't as horrendous as I imagined it to be. And... Uh, I liaised with the NHS up here when I came back and a district nurse came around and removed the thing. I never felt it at all. And uh, it was back to business as usual. So I'm delighted to say so. It was all pretty amazing, actually, because I had the operation on a Thursday night, on a Thursday during the day, rather, and was out having an Indian meal and a glass of red wine on Friday night. That's really good to hear. And since then, and, you've been uh, very well. Yeah, very well. Well, then I, I subsequently had two... Um, you're always reluctant to jump up and down uh, in celebration with cancer, but I subsequently had two blood tests. One came in at uh, a 2, the second one came in at 2.2, so basically the same. I'm about to get a third one. 
the uh, oncologist at my local NHS hospital has got me under her wing. The blood tests are done at the local doctor's surgery and she sees them and we have a phone chat. Mr Negam was very pleased with the results uh, coming down to two. It was, I think, very, very good because uh, he said he would have been happy with a five. So to get down to two is pretty good. Well, that's really, that's really and, good. And uh, certainly as far as side effects uh, go, I mean, I just think about what might have happened. I just think I've been so lucky. Mm. Um, no, you clearly, you have. Because, and, um, that's oh, why it's, yeah. it's been really interesting to have you share this because I think a lot of men, you know, need to understand how to take the steps you have and exactly what went through your head and what you encountered. So, Graham, I really want to thank you for yeah. sharing this. It's really helpful. Okay. And I think your comments about some of the, the blunt instruments, as we said earlier, are, yeah. are, are quite telling and we'll see yeah. how that goes. But I want to thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's, okay. been, it's been a real pleasure. Okay, Claire, thanks very much. A transcript of this interview is available on our website, where you can also access information and insight on living with prostate cancer. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. <laughs>